Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chiswick. And we are, of course, here to celebrate all things working class because if we don't, ho, the bloody hell will she's back, baby! Oh dear, I see that's been resurrected. (laughs) That didn't last very long, did it? No, well, I just got over my sweet self. I think it might be the heat, you know, knocking the ego out of me. It's all right, you don't like it, Michelle don't like it, but I do, so we're carrying on with that. Great, something lucky for you there, listener. So without further ado, who are we celebrating this week, Law? Do you know what? Me and Han are once again having a bit of a pinch me moment because we have been the biggest fans of this week's guests for many years now. Let me tell you, he does it all. He's a spoken word artist, a record producer, an actor, podcaster, and a British hip-hop legend. He spent his teenage years performing in bands with his mates and working at HMV. After writing his first full-hour set of spoken word and having saved up enough money to survive for a year, he quit his job, jumped in his 1987 Toyota Space Cruiser and hit the road seeking out big gigs, where he would perform outside of them to queuing crowds. After a few months on the road, he headed back home and began performing again at open mic nights in Essex and London before teaming up with his ex-HMV colleague Dan Lesac, performing the duo Dan Lesac versus Scroobius Pip. They released the single Thou Shall Always Kill, which was and still is an absolute fucking banger. Between them, they raised 200 quid to film the video. They went on to release their critically acclaimed debut album, Angles, which became one of the leading independent releases of 2008. The duo toured the UK, Europe and the USA and played at many of the world's biggest music festivals. Despite being offered numerous deals with big labels, they decided to sign with independent label Sunday Best Recordings and they went on to record three albums. In 2006, our guest debut album, Commercial Breaks, was released through his own record label, Speech Development Records. At the time, there were only a 1,000 copies of the album made and obviously they sold out. So in 2012, the album was re-released as a double CD edition, following on from the 2011 release of his second 
second solo album, Distraction Pieces. And as always, being ahead of the curve, in 2013, he started his own podcast, the Distraction Pieces podcast, which has grown into a hugely successful iTunes chart-topping podcast. Right, Christ, we better get our shit together then. Right. Our guest has released two books, Distraction Pieces, a book to accompany his podcast, and previously, Poetry in Emotion, a series of his poetry illustrated by various contributors from around the world who answered his MySpace call-out to submit designs to accompany his poetry. Not content with smashing it in virtually every artistic medium, in April 2013, XFM announced our guest was joining the station to host his own weekly show, The Beatdown, a full-circle moment as XFM was a station that had launched his record career. And in 2014, The Beatdown won Best Specialist Music Programme at the 32nd Annual Sony Radio Academy Awards. Put my teeth back in. Breathe. And breathe. <laughs> Taking a pause from releasing new music, our guest has now turned his hand to acting. Hooray! Appearing in shows such as American series The Bastard Executioner, BBC drama Taboo, British comedy film Walk Like a Panther, and has even made it into the world of Marvel in Venom Let There Be Carnage. I mean, what on earth is this guy going to do next? In all seriousness, Laura and I have been huge fans of this guest from the moment we first heard him and we were first in line to get tickets for his sellout Edinburgh Festival show back in 2013. So it really is a total pleasure to give a huge proper class podcast welcome to the multifaceted, multi-talented, total legend that is Scroobius. Scroobius Hello guys. God, that was lovely. (laughs) I've done loads of stuff, haven't I? I forget how many different jobs I've had over the years. (laughs) How do you feel hearing it all back? It's funny because it, it makes me think, I was, I was talking to a mate of mine recently who, who started working near a particular dock in on in London. And I was like, oh, I used to unload uh, cr- cruise liners there. And, and the amount of jobs I've had before all of this nonsense <laughs> is just as ridiculous from pizza up to HMV to... Uh, Delivering big bags of flour in the which in the I'm mornings. so interested in talking about all, all of these of that. different I was, things. So. I said to Hannah earlier. I said, "You, I said, my yeah. God, he's had like so many lives." It yeah, seems. Yeah, I've just kept busy, I guess. But yeah, it's 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 lovely. It, it is lovely to hear all those kind of things. I'm always uncomfortable with compliments for some reason, but you, you guys will know anything in the arts or self-employed even you've got to be constantly moving and constantly on the go and you don't totally. often get a chance to look back and go, oh, I've done some good stuff, actually. That's quite that's quite nice. And I really I really obsess over whatever I'm doing at the moment. So acting and script writing is all I'm thinking about. And every now and then I'll get reminded of this m- music career or these other things. I'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, that was me, wasn't it? I, I was used working to do with that. some young uh, some <laughs> young actors last week, and um, I was saying to them, like, of course, you've always got to like have your eye on what you might like to do next, and it's great to be creatively ambitious. And but it's good to take a pause and remind yourself, like, yeah. what fifteen year old you would have thought, like, bloody hell, yeah, you know, we've all got ambitions and things that we'd like to do, but it's amazing to think back on like yeah what younger you would have made of all the stuff you've done i was chatting to david earl recently who's a comedian and actor that i'm a big fan of and he's a pal and he was asking if i get nervous on set because he gets really nervous before every acting gig and i kind of don't and he was saying he gets nervous because of imposter syndrome and he he worries Mm. he doesn't belong there and i realized I'm about three careers on from knowing I definitely don't belong there. Like all of this is a bonus. Like as the the music career that shouldn't have. I was the kid with a stammer in a small town in Essex. It's like 
music should never have been, particularly spoken word, should never have been mine. So everything after that, I think I don't get particularly nervous because I'm just excited going, how mad is this? Like I'm on, I'm allowed on set and things like this. So there's, there's no imposter syndrome. I know I'm an imposter. There's no doubt over that. I don't panic on that. It's like, no, that's, that's a given. Let's just enjoy it now. So, yeah. We normally start every week by just asking our guests to take us back to a place uh, or a time that really reminds them of their working class roots. So if you were going to take us somewhere, where would you take us? Well, it was weird on this because with preparation and stuff like that, and again, I'm sure we'll go into this on the acting, I over prep on stuff sometimes because of having a stammer, because I know I need to really do my work to know where I'm going to breathe, where I'm going to do all this. But on this, I kept thinking about it and the the first thing that came to mind was the one I had to deck with. And it's not Essex-based. All my family from South London. So from the age of four or five, pretty much every weekend, we'd, we'd go to Millwall and we'd be on the terraces at Millwall every week. We'd go to the same calf mm-hmm. in Greenwich every week, run by a bloke called Peter. We'd be excited because often Danny Baker would be in there like having his pre-match <laughs> fry-up as well. And then we'd go and get our South stand up as seats. We'd get there 30 to 60 minutes early so we could get a good seat. Or early days, it'd be in the family enclosure. And again, it's mad because Millwall has got such a bad reputation and often well-deserved. Yeah. You know, I've seen, I think it benefited me to see racism, violence, all sorts of thing at an early age and people fighting against it. Um, yeah. But like at Millwall in the family enclosure in them days, there'd be halftime entertainment for the kids. So there'd be really? a clown coming out or a, like no literally way. a punch that'd and judy show. Football, yeah. That'd be like the last football ground I think that would be t- yeah. that, that would be happening. There'd be like <laughs> Amdram or there'd be like punch and judy or whatever else in this little oh area to, 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 to entertain the youngsters at halftime. So yeah, things like that always deck with me we'd always get our sweets before the game because they're going to be more expensive in the ground yeah and 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 things like that all those basic things of just being there as a family at first like me my mum dad and my brother would go and sometimes our mate rick my uncles would go and my cousins would go and then as the years went on it went down to just me and my dad more often than not but yeah it's it feels like it's been a key a key place and memory of of being around proper working class people being comfortable around working class people who are getting passionate yeah yeah because again at football you get all of the emotions you get people who are proper angry you get people who are proper sad you get you get to witness all of these real extreme emotions in a a a game (laughs) you know within 90 minutes i've got so many of my favorite memories are at millwall like of of being a kid there of being a grown-up there and again that place where you learn that it's okay to show emotion, you know, yeah, I think that yeah. I think people underrate how important that is, particularly for working class men. Yeah, 100%. to be somewhere where they can genuinely hug each other and kiss each other and and yeah. and get excited and get angry and have this whole wave of emotions in ninety minutes and then go home. <laughs> you know, it's such yeah. a weird. Uh, it's a therapy in a way. So yeah, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's probably the only time I really, really see my stepdad and my brother go from one extreme to the other. We're a Liverpool yeah. supporters yeah. Um, uh, and we've obviously had an amazing few years 
But yeah, seeing their emotions and them hugging each other and they never hug each other. Yeah. You're right. It's um, I've never really thought about that. But as you learning as a young man, young boy, that emotions are all right. Yeah. yeah. It's all right, you know. Yeah. Let's take you back then, seeing as we're going back. Talk to us about where you grew up, school. How was school for you? So I grew up. I'm looking out, out, out my window now. My mum still lives about a 15-minute walk in that the direction. Oh, my dad walks about, lives about 10 minutes in that direction because they're separated. But, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of everything of, of my upbringing. So um, in this sm- small town called Stamfordly Hope, we w- I went to Catholic schools because my parents thought, that's going to be the better of the options. Good when, school, yeah. And um, <laughs> so I went to in my in my secondary school. I used to have to have to get the train to school because I went to an all boys Catholic school in South End. Um, could only go there because I passed my eleven plus, and that meant that they had to cover our travel. Right. We oh, couldn't right. have afforded to. We wouldn't have afforded to, to go to a school further away that was a slightly better school if if travel wasn't covered. And that's so yeah, it was years of getting on trains and music in headphones with mates and getting the train into school it was an all right school it wasn't an amazing school but it was it was it was decent enough but it was kind of i feel i did most of my education and learning after like like after after i left school that's when i kind of got more of a passion for for things but I take it you were fairly academic because if you passed your 11 pluses because I did my 11 yeah. pluses and I failed miserably I did all right I did all right I scraped past I think my brother flew through them I think I scraped th- through them and yeah it's interesting 11 plus isn't it it's given so many people that wouldn't have had an opportunity to a better education yeah was, was school good for you did you enjoy it how did you find it it's a weird one it was it had its ups and downs again i touched upon it earlier I've, I've had a, a stammer since i was four so school is going to have its ups and downs in, right, in that yeah, situation yeah. like i, I now as kind of a grown-up i understand that you're starting at a new school and it's not that you go there wanting to to bully someone or target someone but you go there not wanting to be the one bullied and if the first yeah. thing they do is call the register and there's one kid that can't answer it it's like there's the one where you know him yeah, yeah. um but I'm quite tall and quite big. So again, even then, I don't think I had it that bad. I certainly don't feel I was the bottom of the the the, the ladder as such. It's the typical in between as the thing, isn't it? I was kind <laughs> right, of, yeah. I wasn't the nerdiest of the nerds. I certainly wasn't one of the cool kids. But yeah, it was fine, really. I was. I wasn't passionate about it. I don't have all these amazing memories. But also, I didn't hate it. It's not the worst days of my life or anything. So yeah. And did you get into, I mean, were you, I mean, this is like, were you good at English? Were you into drama? Where does your love of language and words and music come from? My English teacher took my mate, or one of my best mates, um, Mark Irvine aside, and said, you can do better than hanging out with Pip and um, and Martin Birmingham, our other mate, because we were, she saw us as naughty and, and not as clever as him. He was a lot cleverer. So yeah, I didn't do great English. I didn't get on with my English teacher, I think my vocabulary got good. <laughs> my vocabulary got good. That sounds like <laughs> didn't phrase that well at all. Um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it until you, see, <laughs> you I, called I it. So there we go. You're in good company. Exactly. I, I think I improved my, my vocabulary a lot because of my stammer. I think 
I'd always be thinking a sentence or two ahead of words I'm going to trip up over well, and I'd I... be replacing them with other words. So I think I built a little kind of theosaurus in my mind and my language, yeah. my, my my vocabulary grew as a defence mechanism as much as anything, I think. And then, yeah, wow. it was only after school that I started to want to look like I've never been a big reader I've had to force myself to become more of a, a reader because at school I wasn't a big reader I was good at maths and I was good at art and they weren't two things that particularly crossed over <laughs> that, were, no. that were helpful <laughs> to, to work together you often so find like, you're either good at one or the yeah. other didn't you yeah, yeah yeah what did you what did you do when school came to an end I took a year out I tried to tr- travel around America oh that's it no I did college sorry and then I went and took a year off yeah and tried to travel America it didn't go well. I ran out of money quick. I was on my own. I thought I'd be able to get jobs and stuff, but I hadn't thought about the fact I was 18. But 18 in the UK, I can go in pubs and clubs and meet people. 18 yeah, in America, yeah, right. I no, couldn't go in any pubs or clubs or anything. So that didn't go well. Um, came back and went to uni doing photography f- for a year. And that was another one where I was a year in and I couldn't. I wasn't comfortable with the debt. I was getting in. I couldn't balance it in my head. The whole thing that, you know, you don't have to pay it back unless you earn over a certain amount. But it's like, well, that essentially is saying either I'm not going to earn much or I'm going to earn, I'm going to work hard and do well and just be paying this back. And it it spun me out. So so after a year, I dropped out of uni and worked in everywhere, as I said, kind of retail, delivery factories, all sorts. And it was working in HMV that I started to write silly raps on the back of till receipts with my mates, like just about different people, this raps about different members of staff. And had you done that before? Or was it just, you know, you loved listening to music pre that? Yeah, it, like, was just, you... it, it was working somewhere like HMV was a godsend for me because particularly at that point, HMV was the one that all the music fans worked in. Virgin was more yeah, of yeah. just a shop. HMV yeah, you always was knew real... that when you went in looking for something. Yeah. You know, you just knew the staff at HMV knew were their shit. to they... give you a yeah, 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 give you their exactly knowledge. Yeah. They didn't want to know me because I like the Spice Girls, so they yeah. were like... There you go. No. <laughs> <Get> <laughs> <out>. <laughs> but yeah, I, oh, that was it. I was working with more and more people who were as passionate about music as I was and, and films, but could teach me more and could expand my horizons. So yeah, there was a a little crew of us who were really into our hip-hop and really into our kind of underground hip-hop and alternative hip-hop. And we'd, as I said, we'd just write diss raps about each other, about other members of staff on the back of till receipts. And that's what started it all. It just just happened. I was the one that kept going and kept writing and, and wrote more serious stuff. And yeah. So, I mean, obviously you were writing stuff about staff at work and stuff, yeah. but what was the first thing you wrote and everyone went, shit, mate, this is really good. Yeah, or, or, I, I know really clearly the first proper thing because it's a weird one as well because the reason you, you mentioned earlier I got in like my space cr- cr- cruiser and toured around the country, the reason for that was I was far more comfortable playing to strangers than playing yeah. any of this to any of my friends or family. It felt ridiculous, but... There was a song called A Thousand Words, which was exactly a thousand words long. That's kind of a surreal story of how I got my stammer, of how I almost drowned as a kid and all this kind of thing. And that was the first thing that kind of I uploaded it on MySpace or whatever. And I had family members and that kind of reaching out and going, 
I didn't know you could do this. Like, I, I remember that happening. I remember this and I remember that. I remember these parts of your life. And wow. yeah, that was the first one that kind of, and again, but because it was un- unusual, it's weird. It's bringing the maths and art together, isn't it? I made it exactly a thousand words long. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, right. because hey. I had some kind of unusual t- t- a twist to it, it was the first one that made me think, oh, m- 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 maybe I could do this to some level kind of thing as a as a professional as such. So you've got an hour of material together and then just set off around the country performing it? Mm, not even that. That's an exaggeration. I've probably claimed that somewhere just to make myself feel more <laughs> professional. It's, it's really f- a f- a f- funny because I was chatting to someone recently and they were asking about, f- it was a thing about first gigs and stuff. And I didn't re- realise at all. Again, it's the kind of, the ability of, th- of throwing yourselves into things, I think. I'd quit my job. I'd, like, I'd saved up enough m- of money to not have a job for a year. And by that, I literally mean like four or five grand. I, I didn't have expensive lifestyle tastes. So it was it was <laughs> a few grand. I was going to be living in a van. Um, and I'd saved that up and I'd quit my job in HMV. I'd, like, I'd been there, f- there for five, six years. I was climbing the ladder. I, I could have thought about it being a career. And I went on the road, as you say, and it's only years and years later I realised at that point I'd never performed any of this in front of anyone. Blimey. So, so I didn't know I could do it. It's just, it's wow. luck now that it turns out I could do it. It's kind of that if you've got something to fall back on, you, you're you more likely to fall back. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. I didn't have a choice. I had to succeed at it because I'd quit my job. Um, yeah, right. I had nothing else. Like I could re- reapply my retail experience in another re- retail job. That's about it. There weren't any other options. So yeah, I had an album's worth, which was probably more about about 40, 45 minutes. And yeah, I just I set about trying to win people over. And when did that change for you? When did it really sort of drop for you? Oh, it was a mad one. It was almost a year to the day. Like I'd quit my job saying I'll give myself a year. Because again, I'm I'm realistic as well. I, yeah. My mum reminded me recently, just as I was setting off in the van, she kind of sat me down and said, look, because my parents have both always been really supportive of, look, we just want you to be happy. If working in London will make you happy, go and do that. If working in H&V will make you happy, go and do that. It's not about m- money or wealth or anything else. And my mum kind of sat me down and said, look, what do you want from this? And I don't remember this at all, but she remembers it it's, it's so clearly. I said, basically, I want the people that I respect to respect me like in yeah. in music. And that was it. And she was like, right, no, that's achievable. She's like, if you want to earn millions or whatever, it might not happen. It's a hard industry yeah, yeah. or whatever. But she was yeah. like, all right, no, that sounds like that's that's that's, that's, a, that's a, a something you might be able to do. So yeah, go at it. So um, yeah, but it was almost a year to the day that that Thou Shall Always Kill came out and got in the in the top forty, and it was kind of at that point it was like, right, we don't have to do. I don't have to go back yet. I still yes. I've still got mates yeah. in HMV. That I'm regularly like, you might hear from me this Christmas. I might have to come on yeah. and, and do some Christmas temp stuff. But yeah, so far I've not had to return. <laughs> it's something we talk about a lot, you know, a lot money, because uh, ultimately, especially this industry, without it, it's um, it's tough, isn't it? And it's tough to take that leap. I was saying on a previous podcast, I've said it on loads of podcasts about my fear mm. of leaving my my other job um, and my other job was pretty good. It was teaching. So it was still in an artistic format, but I wasn't doing what I really love to do, which is make people laugh and act and stuff. Yeah. And I, I really, really have struggled with the idea 
of letting go of the um of the consistent money coming in money i know i can pay my bills but you know because I, I i come from a childhood where we lost everything so that fear is there this you yeah. know i don't need to go to a therapist for that you're you're sort of leaping and and just like getting in that van with only three grand like i just definitely wouldn't have done that i wouldn't have gone until i had 10 grand or something but like where does that that lack of fear for you I come mean, was it your I, mum and dad I, I, or like i, I almost interrupted you there because I, again i think an important part that i often forget to mention in my story is i lived at home with my mum at that point still you know i was 25 yeah. or whatever but again that's because i weren't earning enough to get my own place but yeah that is a real advantage that's yeah. a benefit. There's a lot of people. If I was having to pay rent or whatever, I wouldn't have been able to, to take that leap. Sure, it just yeah. happens that yeah. for me at that point, I was living at home with my mum, so it was only my my ego that was at, at risk as, as such. If you know what I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to have the nights out. I wouldn't be able to have, have nice things or whatever else, but I'd never really been into any of that. So yeah, it was that. I, I, I knew I kind of had that safety net. And it was also the realisation... At the time I quit was when I was being asked to, um, I was about to say audition, interview, interview for or apply for assistant manager jobs. And I was like, right, either, because again, I've got nothing but respect for, for, uh, for retail. So I was like, either I stop claiming I'm going to do m- music and I focus on retail and do it properly and be really good at it, or I stop here and I go off and try and, of music because it felt fake it felt like yeah. I, was, I was working in this this record store but i was you know i was playing people a track here or there or i was writing raps all the time and things like that it's like i felt like do i want to do this or do i want people to think like do i want to be a rapper or do i want, want people to think i'm a rapper right yeah yeah i've got got m- m- mates who i wrote raps with on the tours in hmv who were better than me Hmm. Yeah, I just feel I'm the one that went. No, I'm going to do this, and yeah, did it, and that's why it kind of yeah, yeah. It's, got it's like I've it got is. mates that are really, really talented. Trained with them at drama school. Trained with them at I went to the Brit School College, yeah. and they were all really fucking talented. But a lot of them dropped off along the way for financial reasons. Yeah. I think like a lot of it, eighty percent of it is stickability. Like you got to be good. Got to be yeah. good. Got to be good to stay there. But eighty percent of it is like sticking at it, and it's like it's just it's really hard. You know, you hear people go work hard enough, it will come. Not for everyone, it no, fucking don't. It's not Do you know as what I mean? simple as that. It really isn't as simple as that. It's it's why I never kind of I'm always open about my story, but I've never done one of them posts of kind of quit your job and follow your passion. Oh no! Because it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that. It worked out for me, w- 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 wicked. Um, but I know yeah. how much luck there is in that. There's talent and there's hard work as well. But I know how much l- luck is a key part of that. So course, it's yeah. kind of yeah. I've never been one to be like, "Here's my story. You can do it too." Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Can I ask a question about um, the first time you performed your first live gig? How, how did that feel? Like again, again, there's another thing of of luck and having good good mates, I guess. So so when I went off on that tour in my van, I had my mate Chris with me, who I knew from I met in in, in college, um, and then when I was at uni in Wolverhampton, he was at uni in Birmingham, so I'd go and spend a lot of time there. So yeah, we set off in this van. And then the first place I decided I was going to perform was outside a DJ Shadow album launch thing. So it was like a, it was, it was at his label and you could queue up and they were going to let a certain amount of people in to hear this new record. And I'm there and I'm good to go. And my ass went, I completely bottled it. I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I've practiced all this at home, but I've never been a big performer. I've never been, I, I wasn't a stage school kid. I wasn't any of these things. It's like, what am I doing? But because my mate Chris was there and he wasn't harsh with it, he was just like, go on then, you're going to yeah. do it. And it, I, yeah. I genuinely feel if I was on my own, I could have given yeah. myself an excuse to leave. But because my mate yeah. was there, I had to be like, yeah, yeah, all right. I'm not, yeah, cool. I'll go and do it. Like, did as you if have I didn't like a little sound, did you have a little sound system and just like a little speaker or whatever? I had two or... things on that tour. I had, um, I had a ghetto blaster with me with, um, I, had, I had my beats on tape so I'd convert it onto tape so I could yeah. do that. And I had a little portable um, amp that I plugged a mic in, but I put the mic through a loop pedal. So either I could press play on the on the beats and rap and it'll come out the mic, or I'd beatbox into the loop pedal and build up a thing and then rap over the top of that. Or I'd just yeah. do spoken words. So, yeah, it was kind of – it meant I had options. As I said – we did two or three. No, we did two different gigs on the same night in London, and then we just went Midlands and further north and further north. Um, and yeah, and it's amazing, is it? Because if you were if that age now, you could just get on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it's mad. But again, that's something I want to get round to talking about at some point because 
moving into acting, I feel far more restricted as a working class person with no particular contacts than with music. I didn't have contacts in music, but but MySpace had just appeared. So we could just make songs, upload them to MySpace. And that's how all of that happened. Thou Shall Always Kill blew up on MySpace. And then we sent one burnt CD to John Kennedy at XFM. He played it and then Rob DeBank played it on Radio 1 and Zane Lowe played it and Joe Wiley played it. All of this. And that was all stuff where we didn't have to know anyone. Whereas the thing I'm finding more and more with script writing in particular is Mm -hmm. it's really fucking hard to kick down those doors. It is. What (laughs) made you do it? Why did you suddenly go, do you know what? Like I'm having this brilliant success as a performer and uh, as a music producer, but I really want to act and write. Like, was there a, have this something you've always wanted to do and it just the moment presented itself? It was a moment of people letting me realise I was allowed. It's such a weird thing. We've spoken of all these yeah. different things that I've just gone and done anyway. Acting was one, again, particularly having a stutter, particularly being working class, mm. all these things that I tried. Like I'd, Before the music, I'm, I'd made like some short films and stuff like that. It was always something I was into, but it was Riz Ahmed and Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and a, a, a few others who I'd met through my music who were either fans of the music or I'd gigged with or with Riz. And Paddy Considine as well. It was after I'd had him on the podcast. It was those four people that I was a huge fan of that all of them at different points said, so so when are you doing acting then? Because it's, yeah. it's all I wanted to talk to them about. Like I, I wouldn't want to... Yeah, Dad yeah. want to talk about music and I'd want to talk about either their films or other films. It was always the thing that I was most passionate about. And it was talking to, 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 to them guys that made me go... Like When me and Dan were doing music... We'd almost every early release because we needed to get attention and we didn't have budget. We'd do like a little skit video. So we did a fake X Factor yeah. audition and we did yeah. a high fidelity kind of send up that had Nick Frost and Riz Ahmed in, which it was before Riz was as big as he was. So it's now mad, yeah. mad to kind of look back on. But I'd write these little s- sketches t- to do. And yeah, I'd always wanted to move in that, that direction. But Riz. But you're, um- it's no surprise to me. You're a storyteller, and you're so in touch with the the world and and feelings, and it does it like it made total sense to me. All it your music narrative, isn't it? Like yeah. everything you've done is narrative. Yeah. Oh, that was the thing that Simon Pegg kind of said was he was like, you know, when you do that angry song, you know, you're not really angry. <laughs> You know that's acting, like it's, it, 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 because I, yeah, I always yeah. felt I don't have the. But we act every day as human beings, don't exactly. we? Exactly. So it was giving yeah. me that bit of confidence to not feel completely out of place. And then Riz Ahmed hooked me up with a meeting with his manager, and I kind of said to her, or his, his agent or manager at the time, and I kind of said to her, "Look, um, I want to start at the beginning. I want to just work hard and get auditions and all this kind of thing." I was considering going back to my old name, David Meads. I was like, I might, I don't know if I should do this because I don't want to. I was, I was so scared of, of of jumping any cues or feeling entitled, which again, entitled people don't feel that. <laughs> they don't have that worry. And she kind of, she was amazing because she almost p- p- patted me on the head and kind of said, "That's adorable, but if <laughs> your previous career can, all it will do is get you an audition. It won't." get you the role you need to do the fucking job to get the role so don't w- worry about that if as i said if knowing riz or simon will get me an audition use that it's stupid yeah. t- 
to not use that. And that kind of gave me the kind of green light to go, all right, I'll do anything I can to get in the room with people. And then I said, over the years, I now think I'm worthy of being in that room. Yeah. I was watching this um, interview that you've done about your stutter yeah. and talking about the fact that, because we talk a lot about our accents, like I'm a theatre director and I can assure you very few theatre directors talk like this. Yeah. Like it just doesn't happen. If there's a if there's a very middle class world, it's a, a theatre rehearsal room for sure. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so you don't hear that a lot. But so we talk to our guests a lot about accents and how they feel about their accents and whether it's ever. And you were speaking really interestingly about saying that you feel like your stutter's part of your accent yeah. now. Would you? Is that right? Yeah, it's something I'm proper excited about artistically now. How weird is it to say no, I feel excited artistically about my stutter? But I've been obsessing over it recently. I've, I did a BBC thing a year or two ago and they didn't tell me, but they used an edit in which I, I, I started and it was one of the most emotional things I've had just watching oh, it because wow. it meant the world because I work a lot with the British Stammering Association and we've discussed it and we don't think there's ever been a character who's had a stammer and it hasn't been this key dramatic part of their character and their background. Yeah, and right. Because yeah, like, right. it shouldn't have to be. It shouldn't be this big. No. You've overcome it. You had your moment. It's like that is a is a representation of these things. So that meant the world to me, and I'd never r- r- really thought about it. Like almost every character I've been up for hasn't had a stammer, and I've not p- p- pitched them having one because I don't think every character should. And I don't want to be the st- st- stammer guy. I don't want to be the guy no. that's doing all the stammering roles. But yeah, of course, it now really excites me. Every now and then, I've had two self tapes. Of this year, I've had about ten or fifteen auditions this year, and two of them I've thought this character might work with a stammer, and it's given me a buzz to do my normal self tape, and then say, if yeah. you've got time, there's a next bit. I've got a stammer. I think this character will work with, but basically all the rest of the time I'm putting the brakes on. I'm going to take the brakes off, and the stammer will come where it comes, and it's a buzz because. As actors, that's amazing. That must feel so freeing. It really does. But just, I mean, as much as anything, artistically, like personally, I don't care. I'm happy. I, like, I, I enjoy yeah, yeah. finding characters that don't like, you know, losing yourself in yeah. character. I don't need them all to be m- me well, as no such. No actor but, wants all their characters to be the same no, as them. That's exactly, not why anyone became an actor, is it? No. The buzz of as as actors, as theatre directors, as everything, what we're striving for is truth, and as that's. Here it is. A stammer is such unbridled, uncontrollable truth. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a hell of a buzz because I remember yeah. seeing um, Tourette's Hero did an amazing uh, performance of a, a Beckett play. Wow. And it was just an emotional roller coaster because it was one that was really quick delivery anyway. But if their Tourette's derailed it, then their Tourette's derailed it and they had to pull wow. it back. And it made this amazing, it made an already exciting piece and play. It took it up a notch. I've I've got scripts sent through before where the character's got a stammer. And I, I think part of the reason I've not got it is I've, at the start of the audition, I've kind of said, look, I know you've written a stammer into the script. That's not really how, how st- Stammers work. No. <laughs> I'm not going to do fur, 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 where you've written fur, 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 fur. I'm going to do yeah. the scene and I will stammer in places. Yeah. And other places I won't. And it's kind of tough because often when you're writing a character with a stammer, as you're not someone who's got a stammer, you do want it to be more performed. 
and more theatrical. Yeah, yeah. And my Damn, as we as we will have heard from this conversation, it's not there all the time. We could have had half of this, and you wouldn't have realised I've got a stammer, and then, and then it's there. Yeah, and that's that's kind of that's how I think a stammer should be represented and present. And then you know it can be brought up if it if it would be brought up naturally. But yeah, I love the idea of of that kind of representation of a stammer allowing a truth in a scene that we're all aspiring to. I think it's so important what you're saying as well because I think that like a lot of the time people who and and with absolutely like brilliant intention and but people like trying to create more visibility of all different kinds of walks of life mm. basically all different disabilities and abilities and sexualities and everything we're trying to show you know as much as we can but not necessarily written by or yeah. guided by the people who have lived with that, that yeah. that's not their lived experience and it was interesting because i was speaking to um a mate of mine of the day who's a, a trans man and he's an actor and he was saying that all he wants is to see he doesn't necessarily need to even play it himself he just wants to see a trans character in something where the story is not about them being trans. Yeah. It might even just be a boring dude who works in a supermarket yeah. <laughs> and the story is about yeah. how boring he is in the supermarket. Yeah. And that's it. And you go, God, that boring guy works in the supermarket. He just wants to see a character in EastEnders who's just working on a market stall. And the whole story isn't just about being a trans character. Yeah. Because, of course, whatever it is that we have as part of our identity, it's not the only yeah. thing. Like... Yeah, exactly. Just quickly, there was... Something I wanted to make sure we try and talk about in this, yeah, go on, because I think it's really important, and it goes on to that representation as as we were saying. Because I was thinking, I was talking to Stu Whiffin, who put us in touch, and we were talking about the amount of amazing working class inspirations and success stories there are in your Tom Davis, your people just do nothing, lads, your Kathy Burks, all of these people. But it also occurred to me that the Yes, they should 100% be there as absolute examples and inspirations because they're inspirations to me every day, every time I look at a script. But hmm. we also should be aware that 90% of the time to get there, they've had to have a non-working class person with them in the room or or backing yeah. them or, or, or in the background or giving them the seal of approval. And that means there's still a distance to go in this. Do you know what I mean? It's It's not... People could say... Oh, oh, what are you moaning about? There's loads of really successful working class. It's like, yeah, there fucking is, and it's br 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 brilliant. But the amount of rooms I've been in with working cl class mates and then the people in the room who are actually pulling the strings and making mm -hmm. it work are very much not... And again, that's not a dig at anyone who's, n who's not working class either. They're fucking allies. No. They're, they're hugely important. They're part of this journey as well, but... Yeah, especially the ones opening the doors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're absolutely allies. They're absolutely a key part of this. But again, it would be beautiful to, you know, more and more I go on set now and it's not only a female costume and makeup truck. It's yeah. other areas of the production. It's it's a mix and that's where things are progressing. Um, it is an interesting thing. And yeah, I, I just say. wanted to make sure, I wanted no, to get that in no, there because I think it's something that's overlooked you. a lot. It's such a brilliant point. I think there's two things. Quite often I get asked in interviews, like, do I feel that like being a woman has held me back as a theatre director? It's a really weird question yeah. to ask me. I don't really know because I've never been a fella, so I don't know what the difference <laughs> yeah, would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I can have a guess yeah. by the way I'm treated still, like, you know, yeah. 25 years in, uh, that yes, it probably has. But I would say that actually the way I speak and am perceived yeah. has had more effect 
yeah. than, or certainly the combination, the the intersectionality between being a female and a working class female yeah. in a very middle class world has definitely had a lot of impact. I, I definitely think there's been situations where the words I'm not stuttering on have done me more damage than the words I'm stuttering on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, yeah, right. when they can hear my accent clearly on a, on a good run of words, it's like, oh, I mean, like, oh. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's doing me as much damage as anything else. But yeah. And we had an amazing <laughs> guest on and if you if you don't know her, I think you'd absolutely love her. She's called Debris Stevenson and she's a grime poet and um, really fascinating and interestingly she came to poetry and and language because she couldn't read or write a word at all until she was about 10 yeah 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 yeah. and uh, and she is now a prolific amazing writer of brilliant brilliant you know material both lyrical poetry and and grime and all sorts of things she's an amazing person but she was saying that one of um, her favorite things now is like getting in the door and then jamming her foot in it and grabbing as many other people through yeah. the door with her as she can <laughs> and it's such a brilliant analogy of like what we all need to do really as working class people for each other yeah completely completely yeah yeah open up the table to everyone it's like the emotional equivalent do you remember when back in the day people used to go to the cinema and open the back door for people who couldn't afford the ticket you could get your mates <laughs> in that way it's I like mean, hollering out like the cinema back doors open go it's go, weird go, i go. just mentioned him because the way me and stew whiffin met was me bunking in the back door of his club night because me and my mates would do that one of us had paid to to go in he hated us back then we're dear friends now but back then he hated us because one of us had paid to go in and the others had, had all all bo- come around the back through <laughs> Obviously, with all the success you've had and are still having, uh, I know we all come at this from a very different position now and we're all uh, living a privileged life of sorts. Um, do you still feel working class? Do you think you'll always feel working class? I think it's a weird one, isn't it? I think I think one of the reasons I still live in the same town I've always lived in is because I think it's important to check yourself. Um, I always remember I did a gig at a Hammersmith Apollo and I was doing spoken word. It was this big night of loads of different people, but The Cure were on, Steve mm. Coogan was on, Stuart Lee was on, uh, Professor Brian Cox. It was all these amazing yeah. things. <laughs> and I did that, and I'd, I'd done my bit, and then I sat there watching them all. And then I got the train home, um, and some girls from Tilbury tried to steal my shoes and set my beard on fire um, <gasps> and put makeup on me. Well, And that was important. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was like, if there's ever a night that's going to make you start thinking, I'm a bit, I'm something I am. I'm up there with fucking Steve Coogan and Stuart Lee. Within an hour of that, I was back being, you're that fucking tall beardy prick on the train that's clearly a target. Look at this fucking weirdo. We're going to try and set your beard on fire. They set your beard on fire? They tried to. I stopped them. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you might, yeah. But, um, yeah, again, it's a stupid story, but stuff like that, again, I think, it, again, it's it's also why I never moved into London because I think I could have moved into London and been around amazing artists, which would have been amazing, but it would have made me delusional about where we are in society and in the world. Yeah. And yes. I think we've seen yeah. a lot of that with Brexit and loads of other yeah, horrible definitely. things. Yeah. Living somewhere that has still got a lot of racism problems, a lot of drug problems, all sorts of other things. I mean, again, I don't want to give any illusions. It's not like I'm out out down the pub every week. I kind of have always kept myself to myself. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's been important for keeping grounded is kind of staying around the same areas. Yeah. I've always said me, K Tempest and Polar Bear have always, because when we were doing a lot of spoken words, 
we'd end up having to go to some proper posh places like posh parts of London, all this kind of thing. And we all realised that we're all far more comfortable somewhere where we feel we're at risk of getting kicked in than we are <laughs> at risk of getting kicked out. And, oh, my and God. In, yes, in, in, yes. in certain parts of North and West London, I'd always feel someone's about to tap me on the shoulder and say, on your way, mate. Whereas in South <laughs> London, yeah, I might be at risk of getting a little dig, but I'd, I'm far more relaxed with that. I know. Oh is there any God. chance you could have that made into a T-shirt? It's a good like, line, I think it? that literally sums up I'm more, that is so brilliant, yeah. kicked oh, in than kicked yeah. out. I came up with that a few years back as the kind of s- s- summation of it, because that it, it sums that it up in the arts as well. In the arts as well, because it is. In the arts, you're always going to end up in areas oh. where you think, Oh, I feel like everyone's sneering at me here. I feel like yeah. everyone's yeah, laughing at me. And we'd always have it at those spoken word gigs, we'd always have it that they're all sneering at us until we go and do our stuff and then they're all kissing our asses. And it's like, nah. When you just heard our accents, you were like, Oh, who are these? Oh, or saw yeah. us walk in. Who are these people? But now we've got up and proven ourselves. So I don't want your approval. No, yeah. I didn't have your approval at the start. I didn't I don't want to earn it. I don't care if I've earned it. Yeah. You can keep it. I think it's almost like a fun game now. Like over the years I found it to be a bit of a fun game. So like I know I walk into a rehearsal room and everyone goes like oh and I speak and people think oh my god like what is that? <laughs> like that's the director really really and I, and I know it and I take great pleasure in it yeah. and I take like great pleasure in not making them feel all right about it for a little while now. I think let them wait. Yeah. And like I think in a couple of days I'll be like, oh, we were wrong about making that assumption. Like we're wrong, and it's quite fun. And I, I think that's one of the things. Like going back to hearing you for the first time, and something that me and Laura talk about a lot. To hear someone as erudite as you are, and such a wordsmith, and such a lover of poetry, and <laughs> with the vocabulary that you have, and but with your accent, it's just mm-hmm. so inspiring. And when I, you know, especially at that time, it was even, I mean, we're not talking like 50 years ago, are we? But I think that's even in the last 10 years that's improved. And I don't think I'd really heard many people speaking in an accent I recognised doing the work that I loved and felt passionate about as well until I heard you doing your stuff. I'll never forget the night round your flat in Norwood and you played me, Thou Shall Always Kill, and it fucking blew my tiny little mind, I've got to say. Really did again. It's it's why me, Kay Tempest and and Polar Bird were drawn together because we were in so many rooms where no one looked like (laughs) us or sounded like us, and we were like, "This is all silly, isn't it?" Like again, embracing it. Loads of amazing people, but but it all happens to you in the acting world as well, Pip. Like you know, like I gravitate to the working class actors. I do. I find them. They find me, and it's it's glorious. It's glorious when you get on a real working class kind of set yeah. and you're like 100%. yeah there's more of us yay or, or, or you, you touched on, on walk like a panther at the start a lot of people didn't see that film but you go on the imdb that is a litany of working class heroes throughout the ages of acting there's so many obviously stevie graham but there's so yeah, many yeah. every day i went on set i'd be like oh shit it's that person from that show like, like all, all yeah. people that i'm like yeah this is amazing. How how am I here? And yeah, oh. I love that stuff. I mean, obviously we could uh, go on all day. Yes. But we've got to let you go. We've got to let you go. Yes, uh, we always finish the show asking our guests if there's anyone, a working class hero they'd like to celebrate today. Uh, who would that be for you? 
I thought about this a lot and it made me feel really blessed because I could pick either of my parents. I could pick so many members of my family. Stu Whiffin, who we mentioned, he came to mind and my mate Chris, Mm. loads of different people. Uncles on my dad's side. My uncle John's the funniest bloke I've ever met. My uncle Pat (laughs) was the first label manager of Trojan Records. I've got amazing aunts, aunts and uncles everywhere. But I've landed on my uncle Rob and he's my mum's brother and he probably doesn't know how inspirational he's been to me over the years because he's done really well for himself like he 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 left school early he didn't do great at school and he he learned a trade and he became a plumber and he's ended up having his own plumbing company and he's done really well for himself but it's not the kind of you've done well for yourself that makes him a hero to me it's that he's a proper bloke still he's proper normal he's really lovely and normal and a nice person you know it's not that he's like a multi-millionaire but he's you know he's got a a place in portugal and stuff like that and he's he's he's, <laughs> he's, 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 he's done all right and i mentioned earlier my i'd forgotten about it until i mentioned earlier i mentioned earlier of my failed trip to america but i always remember on that it was going bad i was staying in hostels and most of the hostels like I was the top bunk and there was a couple on the bottom bunk and things like that. It was like <laughs> rough things. And he heard it was going bad and he rang me and said, uh, when he was y- 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 younger, he travelled America a bit and it was tough. So he said, I've booked you into this hotel and he booked me into like a 250 quid a night hotel for a couple of nights just to kind right. of say, look, just r- relax a bit and and take a weight off. And it was a lifesaver because it was such a weird, hard, isolated time and just having that little bit of of, of luxury. And yeah, just mm. just a th- a throughout his, his, his life, I always enjoy catching up with him because we will either be somewhere proper working class or we'll be somewhere proper posh, but he'll be the same bloke regardless. So yeah. Yeah, that's and, an amazing uh, what thing. Did he, what does he do for a living? He's, he's a, a, a plumber. He, he, he runs a a plumbing company and what's his full name Robert Latham so we're celebrating him as well as you today Pip Scroobius Pip it's been honestly like fucking if you'd have me and Hannah had said we were going to be interviewing you on our second series we'd have told whoever that was to fuck off because we're just honestly massive fans Mate, and I'm so excited listen I might even get to work with you one day you know if we're lucky I'd, l- I'd well, love to if I'm lucky I, I love King <laughs> King Gary Screws blew me away I'm, I'm, I'm excited oh, thanks, to be mate. here you, you guys are great and as soon as Stu yeah told me what the podcast was about I was like right that's a, a new one on my download list anyway so yeah oh thank to be you here. so much that means the world thank you mate cheers oh my god Hannah I know, what a brilliant... Uh, uh, if you'd have told me, like, you know, back in the day when we were sat around my table up Norwood Junction, that one day he'd be on our podcast, I'd have thought you were having a laugh. I mean, oh, no. just everything about him. Like, I mean, obviously his work, which, I, as you know, we've banged on quite a lot in there. Probably, he's probably taking out a restraining order as we speak. But <laughs> yeah. the, uh, going, Hopefully we'll work together. It's thinking. like that. It's called his agent saying, don't ever put me up for anything <laughs> she's up for. Um, but obviously, like, you know, we've always loved his work and, and that... That, that goes without saying that's that stands yeah. but I think also just that uh courage to reinvent yourself start again go I'm at the top of my game in this but you know what I'm gonna do that yeah. and uh yeah I just find that really 
an amazing thing and, Quite and a good lesson uh, yeah. in how to survive this industry and to and to not and to learn not to box yourself in like if you've got a, a talent for something you think you can do it and also you know he's a storyteller of course he's a good actor yeah it's a very british mentality isn't it that people only do yeah. one thing and he's got a much more kind of sort of like you know american oh, yeah, like attitude we american, of like, yeah like yeah of course I, I make movies i write scripts i make hip-hop i'm a spoke you know it's just a it's, a it's a brilliant lesson and he was very early doors for all of that stuff as well so it's like doubly impressive really yeah um yeah absolutely everything i hoped it would be that conversation fantastic and you know what if you're not familiar with pip's work please do go and check him out um acting his podcast distractions and all of his music get on youtube because he's a super talented fella and a top bloke and we're so lucky to have had him so that's it folks that's the penultimate episode of the series next week is our final episode of the series i mean have we saved the best till last well i don't know you'll have to tune in to find out wouldn't you but until then like i always say keep it classy the proper class podcast is produced by michelle far scott for rangabee productions edited by james torrance with music by tommy music Just to let you know, folks, the Proper Class podcast is now going weekly. And whilst I've got you here, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at the Proper Class podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy.